Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Being widowed can be one of the most overwhelming traumatic experiences that women and also men face in their lives. Loneliness significantly affects those who've suffered the death of a husband. Sometimes because of that, people withdraw from them. It is almost as if widowhood is contagious. Losing the closest person to you, one you trust, leaves widows and widowers feeling desperate and on their own. Widows can become some of the most marginalized groups in society. Yet, they are often in greatest need, whether in terms of physical or mental, emotional or practical adjustments to their lives. They go through a lot, through a period of shock, grief and loss. Welcome to the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar Durañona. Today I'm talking to Graham Tinashe Makwarimba, better known as Carter. This Cantari alumni founded in 2014 York Africa a non-profit entity that enriches people and communities on the margins of society to overcome social and economic discrimination with a primary focus on widows and single mothers. Welcome, Carter. Uh, thank you so much, Yampi. I'm really excited and happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you that uh, you managed to be here today. Carter, the York Business Academy in Harare, Zimbabwe, offers a five-month practical business management and entrepreneurship course for widows and single mothers in three locations, Mavuku, Highfields, and Chitung Visa. Why did you choose this name? Why call your organization York? The name York is driven from the yellow eternal part of an egg. It's jam-packed with important nutrients required by human body and other animals for daily optimal functioning. So uh, to us, with the catalytic changes that comes by consuming the egg yolk, to us, yolk becomes a, a perfect symbol for a social and economic change, a catalyst that functions to enrich and nourish those at the margins of society. So that's where the name York is driven. Then because of our inspirations to empower the marginalized community, not only in my native country, Zimbabwe, but in other African countries, we then decided to name the organization York Africa. And uh, York Africa, it's, uh, it's an umbrella organization to six flagship initiatives. And one of the initiatives is what you have mentioned and referred to as York Business Academy, which is uh, actually known as Torch Business Institute, an initiative of York Africa. Okay, okay, thank you. We are going to go deeper on it, of course, definitely. First, I wanted to ask you something, because I know your dream is to improve the lives of widows and single mothers in your homeland, Zimbabwe. Um, where they are often discriminated against and marginalized. How exactly are you and your team at York Africa doing that? Oh, okay, thank you so much. That's a very interesting question. Uh, at York Africa, like I have highlighted, we have six flagship initiatives that we created as a solution to the plight of widows and single mothers in, um, in, in, in Zimbabwe. The story of widows in Africa is more similar. 
So it also happened that a very same concept is what we are putting and working across to establish in um, in about six other African countries within the Southern Africa region. Our first initiative at York is we is uh, what we call Torch Business Institute. Torch Business Institute offers a five month and eleven month leadership management and entrepreneurship training program to aspiring entrepreneurs who come from the margins of society. And of course, our primary focus is always on widows and single mothers. So with this Torch Business Training Factory, it started in 2016. And since 2016, we have trained and graduated about 100 participants who went to start and establish their own business ventures. And among them, 60% of the beneficiaries of this program who are the participants are widows and single mothers. Why still we have youth? Others are actually from the other gender, which is uh, the male. Mostly they are youth who graduated from our business training factory. And um, I'm actually glad that the participants at Torch they are, they are, they are really doing well. Some of them, they do not have a, a solid academic background. They're just people with dreams to start and establish their own businesses. So we, we, we enroll them and we give them an opportunity to learn. After learning, they go and establish their businesses. And I'm glad that many of our participants, they are really demonstrating the impact of what they are being taught at um, Church Business Institute. I was actually talking to one of our widows whom I would have loved to be part of uh, this conversation. She, she started a, a business that was in, after graduating from the class of 2017. And she has gone way to employ about five people. And we are talking about someone who doesn't have any academic records. But all what they have was a dream to start and do something. But they are now giving employment opportunities, some to, to even graduate. So um, it's really such exciting news when you, you, you see such people demonstrating. And in the past, we have seen most of our participants being invited, uh, those from Zimbabwe being invited uh, by our national uh, television for, for, for certain programs like Good Morning Zimbabwe to present about what they are doing. And um, I was happy and stunned to see the confidence of someone who doesn't have um, an academic record being on a national platform, um, being um, interviewed and saying a lot of sense. So um, that's uh, some of the things that we are actually witnessing from uh, our our training programs at at Torch Business Institute, a flagship initiative of Pure Africa. That sounds great. What what are, what do the people do after they 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 go through this this entrepreneurship uh, course? What are the most common business they start? Many of our participants they come from a diverse business background. When we enroll them, what they just present is a dream of what they aspire to be, right? During our training program, there is this interesting period 
a one-month period of mind transformation and self-discovery. So you discover one, when they applied to enroll at Torch, mostly they come with a certain aspiration. But after going through our mind transformation and self-discovery period, some they finally realize their dream. So you discover some of our participants, they are into automotive industry. Some of them, they are into food industry. Some of them, they are natural service providers. I can give you an example of our participants. Please. We have this lady, her name is Jasmine Mashongwa. She started a company that processes small grains. They process small grains and they make meal meal out of it. And uh, a company is actually doing well, though they are also faced by uh, quite a number of challenges sometimes. Then uh, we have another lady. Uh, she started a company that she called Black Panther. You know, I was talking to this lady this other day. She named the company Black Panther before the famous movie Black Panther. And um, okay. she's okay. currently running a garage. It's, it's the company... It's a, it's in the automotive industry. So she's running a garage whereby if you have a car that needs attention, they can fix that. I'm talking about a, a lady. Awesome. Yeah. It's very unfortunate that uh, the last training program of Torch happened in 2019. And once we were preparing for the class of 2020, uh, we were actually affected by COVID-19. Yeah, in I conclusion see. about Torch, we only enroll 25 participants a year to go through our training program. We only select 25 participants. And they grow, go through a, a, solid, a solid training. After a solid training, they graduate. And the good part about the concept of York, of Torch Business Institute, they start their business during the training. By the time that they complete the graduation, their businesses will be officially registered, they will be up and running. Sounds amazing. It's, it's something quite similar to that what you did at Kantari. Yeah. A few years uh, back, isn't it? Yeah, that's very true. The Touch Business uh, Institute uh, set up curriculum was actually inspired by uh, what I went through at Kantari. And here I was now trying to redefine and focus more on business leadership or on business entrepreneurship management and entrepreneurship, business uh, leadership management and entrepreneurship. And uh, we also realized that uh, many business people have the power to contribute to social perspective. And uh, we also added in our curriculum a subject that also has to do with uh, their contribution in so driving social change as business people. That definitely the curriculum that we prepared, it's actually inspired by what I had to learn at Kantari and how the program was. That's awesome. So 40% of the participants of this Torch flagship program from York are widows. Why and when did you begin your commitment to the widows? My commitment to widows and single mothers started, that was back in, in, in 20, 2012. That's when I started to... To, to have more interest to focus on widows and single mothers. And uh, this was inspired by first-hand social and economic discrimination. My family, 
my mother and family suffered after the death of my father, who passed on in 2004, when I was 13 years old. In 2013, 2012, I mean, I just felt that there was a need to do something for many widows. After realizing that what we went through as a family, it's something that wasn't only existing in our family, but many families that are being headed by widows and single mothers. And when I started more to focus more, I remember after high school, I went through a, a lot of things that, you know, it, it was actually trying time whereby you want to try this and this. And eventually later, I started a small business. Uh, I was running flea markets and I was using part of my okay. uh, income to just contribute um, food aid to, to a number of 61 widows from my community in Kwazana, Harare, Zimbabwe. Almost every day when I'm coming from work, I could uh, use five US dollars to buy a small package of grocery to one of the widows from the 61 that I had on my list. You know, when, when, when you are always reaching out to some people, especially with such gesture, sometimes people, they just so feel free to, to start expressing themselves. And that's what happened. A lot of yeah, people right. started to share their stories. And sometimes I could find myself in tears because the situation wasn't pleasing. Sometimes you could reach out and a person tells you, ah, I don't know, is it God who send you? Because I don't have anything to eat right now. So that's how it started. And, you, you know, I was then driven that I should start something. So the next step, uh, what I started to do, I started to organize parties, you know, just inviting a number of widows to come at our place, at, at my mother's residence. We, they could come. My my young brother is a DJ, so he could organize um, his speakers, like as in sound system, and he could play some nice music whilst they are eating um, great meals. And, you know, I, I could see the joy on their faces. After so many times, when, when I was implementing these small gatherings in form of parties, many widows started to spread messages to some widows from a distance from, from where I stay, saying, ha, ah, there's this young man, we are always are having fun, and mostly is organizing parties for us, we are having fun, right? I then um, thought, how best can I, I add more value, rather than just them coming to sit, enjoying music and uh, food. I started to invite motivational speakers. And at most, I could foot the bill for all the motivational speakers, though some of them could come voluntarily because they saw a need which I was addressing and they were also, they also wanted to be part of it. So I started to invite motivational speakers and the audience now was from Sikisti to a gathering of roughly 300 to 400 people every month in my community. Awesome. Spread. That's great. We started to spread these gatherings to other different communities. I remember we gave a name to this gathering that is called Game Changer Movement. And I also remember that before I left to Kantari, we had about five platforms in five different communities. 
not now it wasn't wow. only in Harare, but it was uh, a part like about 250 kilometers from Harare. We we're having gatherings. And uh, in our gatherings, a lot of people could gather yeah. because in each and every community where we were going to establish our monthly gatherings, right? A lot of widows were coming through. A number of 500 people or 300 people per gathering, it's, it's something that can pose as a political threat. So I, yeah, I, right. I, I, yeah. I, I, I then noticed that uh, during that time we were not a registered entity. I was, it was just Graham coming to gather widows just to put a smile on their faces. So uh, some local leaders, they were now so worried that what is he trying to do? Probably you can actually turn as a threat that you, are, you have started campaigning and at one point you want to come and be a member of parliament. What <laughs> actually was now happening in most of the communities. Around this time, that's when I left Zimbabwe to India. And um, at Kantari, that's where I, I, I had to learn to be the person I am today. And when I came back, uh, after after the, the leadership training, social leadership training program at Kantari, I was actually a new person. I now knew a lot of things, a lot of stuff and how to handle certain situations. And um, a few months after I'm back from Kantari, our organization was now an officially registered organization. And um, our intentions were now clear because before, honestly speaking, I, I, I really didn't know what to do. I was so fascinated by people gathering and uh, having motivational speaker. I really wanted more to happen. But what I was doing was not sustainable anymore. Yeah, yeah, I can understand. I can understand. But now, after you came back from Kansas, you weren't a danger anymore. So if we might get back a little bit to the first thing you, you said. First of all, thank you for, for sharing your story. And I'm really sorry for your loss. May I ask what happened to your father? My father, he got sick for about two solid months. And uh, yeah, he, he was, the, the first time that I heard about the news, he was um, driving somewhere and his other side uh, got it. Um, he was affected. Uh, it was a stroke. Oh, I'm so sorry. So just a few okay. months after he passed on. And I tell you, the situation of many widows after the death of their husbands is, is terrible, whereby, um, especially in Africa, he was, like my mom, she was accused of being the one who killed my father. And, you, you know, a, a lot of things were just being said. And I was asking myself that uh, we are nine in our family and I'm, I'm the seventh born. I'm the sixth born. We're up oh, and, okay. Yeah, my mom gave birth to 10 children. And out of 10, um, one is one passed on when 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 she was young. So um, I was now asking myself a question that my mom and father, they both raised nine children together, right? And this can only be a result mm. of love because you cannot be together for yeah, definitely. time and um, you have about 10 children without communicating in love. That can only happen in love. Now seeing people and mostly specifically relatives uh, saying 
my mom has to do with my father's death. You, you know, I, I wasn't really much okay with that. And this story resonates around many widows, not only in Zimbabwe, but in Africa. Uh, every year, uh, since 2010, there is uh, what we call International Widows Day. It's a United Nations ratified mm-hmm. day to raise awareness about the plight of widows. So I became aware about this day in 2000, around November 2012. And in Zimbabwe, I've been making efforts even before York was a registered organization to make sure that United Nations in Zimbabwe consider that this day exists. Because though the, the day was ratified by UN at international top level, right? Uh, in many countries, the day is not yet recognized. People really don't know about it. And it only takes organizations like York Africa to come through and um, join hands with United Nations in their respective countries to commemorate and raise awareness about this day. So personally, I came to know about this day in, 20, in, in 2012, November. And I made efforts even before the organization was registered to organize a, a, larger, a larger gathering in Zimbabwe um, to, to, to commemorate International Widows Day. Sorry, why is it is so important to have such a day and why it was so important for you to make possible for the people in Zimbabwe to celebrate this day? The important about this day, it's about to raise awareness about the plight of widows and single mothers around the world. The, the plight of uh, let me say widows and their children around the world. So each and every year, we just choose a, a, a theme and we focus on that theme and address and make people aware about the challenges that widows face. So the day is, is, is actually important for it plays a key role for, for, for institutions, for, for government and, and even the general citizens of any country to understand the importance of widows and their challenges in our communities. Yeah, we have been talking about widows, and we all know, or at least it is known, that widows have been identified as a vulnerable group in Zimbabwe. And you you have spoken about their vulnerability, and you have spoken about the troubles, the situations they face. You've mentioned after the death of your father, when you were a child, you found yourself yet again saddened by the social and economic deprivation that your family suffered. Can we talk a bit about that? What happened back then to you and your family? Mostly in Africa, in most cases, the husband is the one responsible for most of the economical needs of their family. My father's demise is result as in a very serious economic challenge. At the same time, I also witnessed my mother being named different names from um, a social perspective, whereby from, from a superstitious social perspective belief. Because in Africa, in most cases, when a husband dies, a woman doesn't have a place in the society, right? They are said mm. names and sometimes they're even accused of killing their husband. So this was the case on my mother's side. 
And now, yeah. at the same time, all family responsibilities were now on my mom. I'm actually glad that some of our family members, they were now um, adults who were able to chip in to support our mother in, in, in whatever possible way so that everything could stand. And I also remember myself, I used to, every day before I go to school, each and every day I could carry, every day in the morning, I could carry a basket of vegetables, right? And walk a distance of about uh, five kilometers to sell those vegetables so that we are able to help our mother to sustain ourselves. So that became my daily routine. Almost every day I could do that. If I'm to go, if I'm going to, to school in the morning, it's either in the afternoon when I'm back from school, I have to carry my bucket and I could go. I remember you have to always shout, uh, like if you are selling, you know, those vegetable, green vegetables, which are called, uh, covo and red. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In Africa, you could carry that big basket shouting. I'm saying, uh, in, 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 in our native languages, it's more like I say, we have vegetables coming by from us. That was my daily schedule almost every day. But I also thank God that during that time, I got exposed through my, um, my, my talent as a poet, right? I could get invited to speak at, uh, to, to recite poems at many different events. And um, one of um, some of my exposure, I, I managed to, I got invited to speak in um, front of the audience in which our former president Robert Mugabe was the guest of honor about three times and um, some countless. So from what I was doing also, I was getting um, revenues where I was able to, to cater for myself at a tender age. At the same time, the money wasn't enough, which I was getting, but I'm glad um, my school fees was actually paid by me doing the poetry programs. And mm -hmm. uh, we also had to make sure that we are sustained everything that we wanted as a family. So at the end, I could always carry that big basket to, to go and sell. But I tell you, all these things, they also had impact on my life. And now I appreciate some of the things that we went through because my yes, experience going to sell and stuff are now things that I'm now using as part of my job to encourage other people. And some of them, they actually became skills that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they are now being used in a positive way. <laughs> yeah, right? I can imagine. But in other words, if you are to look at uh, this situation, I was supposed to be focusing with my education, right? And to some extent, that's what is normally termed as child labor because I had to focus yeah. on uh, helping the family to sustain. And honestly speaking, we didn't have any way, which is what happens to many families being led by widows to put their children into child labor, not because it's what they want, but the whole family be now becomes a team to, to make sure that you, they end ends meet. So this is a situation with widows and single mothers in Zimbabwe. Mm. Not only in Zimbabwe, we have been doing a research around Africa, uh, mostly focusing on Southern African region countries, 
like Namibia, uh, Botswana, South Africa, Lesotho, and Zambia, right? The situation of widows is more the same story of what mm. that they go through, the social and the economic aspect. For the social aspect, my mom faced a lot. On the economic side, he also had to keep up with uh, making sure that we we, we we manage to get whatever that we want as a children. So definitely so being a widow actually, being a widow in your society is uh, I mean you are facing social stigmatization, social exclusion. This is this is kind of a really harsh way of life. That's very true. And you know, one of uh, the interesting stories that I always love, especially being um, a single mother. Some people they now turn single mothers as uh as as, as husband snatchers, right? Mm. Whenever a married woman sees their man standing with a widow or a single mother, the next thing that comes in their mind, this person wants to, to snatch my husband, right? So oh. they are always faced with superstitious belief, stigma, and at the end they had to cope with social isolation which normally results to a lot of negative things happening to them, like having um, succumbing to stress and other diseases, which comes through stigma and uh, social isolation. You know, sometimes people don't know what to say when people are sad. What are some good ways to be there for those who have lost a spouse? Um, from my experience, the most emergent thing right, is uh, they need counseling because you realize that uh, a lot of things will be happening in their mind. They will be thinking, just in losing someone is something that is never easy. So uh, they need psychological support. Secondly, depending with the person's status, right, like in Africa in most cases, when they die, like I highlighted, we have two issues the social and economic aspect. Especially where in my country like Zimbabwe, where a lot of people are not employed, or even if you are employed, you are not earning enough to cater for your family, it becomes worse for a widow who is becoming the head of the family. So what they also need is financial support, which is the reason why at York we realize sometimes we might not be able to provide financial support. I want to make it clear that whilst you widows and single mothers, they are victims of certain circumstances. Definitely. I came to a point whereby I, I don't really normally feel pity for them in this sense. At York, we always tell them that we have to move from charity to total empowerment. Yep. The vision that I have, I have, I have a vision to see widows and single mothers contributing effectively to, to social and economic development. I, 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 I foresee widows and single mothers standing to, 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 to build their families, right? To not only their families, they can also extend a hand to support other people. So why still they are also victims? If they um, they become members of York and benefit from some of our programs, definitely they that mindset of a victim of being sidelined, side um, isolated and stuff 
it's something that will meet transformation. Like uh, the other friendship initiative of York Africa is called York Fellowship. York Fellowship is a gathering of change makers. And who are the key change makers we are talking about? These are widows and single mothers. We have gone through uh, trauma. We have gone through social isolation. And what do we do at York? At York Fellowship. York Fellowship is an emancipation platform whereby members, they get um, to meet. It's now the old concept of uh, our first gatherings, but now it's something that is redefined, right? And uh, it's no longer just about widows. We are also implementing involving university students. We are establishing clubs in schools. But at the same time, we are also asking widows to take a lead, right? And their key initiatives are gathering. They contribute to, 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 they contribute to, to, to humanitarian um, aid, right? I remember mm. in Zimbabwe, I don't know if you heard about it. We, we had um, uh, what they call, um, the, there was these floods. During that time, a number of our widows from York, who are our members, we have been empowered by our program, right? Mm. They organized and mobilized resources. And we, we, we had to, to take some of the staff for, 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 for Idai. Yeah, it was named mm. Idai. We, we took some of the stuff that they contributed, that they chose to donate. So try to imagine if the widow, the very same widow that we always feel pit about, now because she's empowered, she's choosing to take things in her own hands and make an impact in our community. She contributed in making mm. sure that people who are affected get something. After they go through our training program, Right, especially the entrepreneurship program, they become effective member of York Fellowship, where now we are expecting them not to be to 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 always cry saying ah we are widows. Yeah, no, but they are now the one who are causing change in our community. Yeah, you are going away from the pitiness and this sorrowness or this sorry you feel against a widow. To, to show that this this woman is there, like she's alive again and she is she's strong enough to keep living. Yeah. Like mostly when we are commemorating Widow's Day, instead of us going feeling pity, we are actually now they are now going with a different message that we we, we, we can also do. We are widows, but we can also do something. Uh, some few days ago I received a message from one of our widows, right? She was saying the one who I mentioned, she she had a garage, right? Yeah. That provides yeah. car vehicle services. She called me and she said, "If you hear any students coming from um, colleges who are doing motor mechanic and they want to come for internship, please refer them to me." Right? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about a widow, a widow who doesn't have academic qualifications because mostly. The world is ruled by academics, right? Mm, mm. That, that's that's what we portray. That the the academic is actually a norm that we have to go through the channel. But yeah. this one, she's a widow without academic qualification. She only had the passion. She only had the dream 
to make an impact and change. And now she's a source of employment in our community. When by the moment that we are enrolling them, some they come, yeah, crying, uh, we have gone through this uh, and this. And, and it will be really sad. We really try to accommodate them by feeling pity for them. But once they are in our springboard, in our training factory, the story now becomes different because we, we, we want to create a, a, a different result, right? So to some extent, we have to, to handle them with extra care, making sure that we are creating bullets here. And I tell you, after that, we are totally changed people. That's what we want to see in our communities. Widows being effective contributors to social and economic development, mm. which is currently what is happening in Zimbabwe and through York participants. Yeah, that's that's great. It's like you are like the living example of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this psychologist term, uh, these three stages of widowhood, grief, growth, and grace. So it's like when the people come to you, they are yeah. on, on, on grief and through this process, they are on growth. And then at the end of this process, you've got the grace. Are you kind of using this uh, this yeah. approach to help uh, widows in your organization? Yeah, I haven't uh, got exposed to read through about that, but I can definitely say it's exactly what is happening at York. Yeah, that's, that's really nice. And I can also imagine that it's not that easy, not only for the widows, but all, also for you to do whatever you are planning to do. And, and for the widows, it's more difficult because you said before that sometimes some of the problems they face is because of superstitions. Yeah. So first question is, what are yes. the superstitions? Uh, what do the people believe? And on the other hand, how do these people go through or go over these superstitions and keep fighting for whatever they think they need to do? Okay, uh, maybe I could come back and mention the word civilization in this sense. That uh, in most of uh, the communities, right, especially those we haven't managed to to meet full civilization in its full form, right? They see widows as if once the husband is dead, they just think she's the one who is behind the death. And maybe mm. because she wanted to take over. Because you know, when 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 you get to marry someone, you are not related, right? Well, the reason why you are together is love. And sometimes some yeah. people just say, probably it wasn't love. They just wanted the many um, resources and stuff, right? Mm. And now at most, mm. they just say, because of, of the need for, for many swell, they are the one who killed their husband, which normally is not the case. Also, being a widow, whereby you now don't have a husband, right? You know, naturally, we are human beings. We, we, we always need someone sometimes yeah, to satisfy our needs, right? Mm. And mm. when someone with a husband sees another woman who doesn't have a husband, at most they'll be thinking there is actually potential for them to snatch my husband away, which is mostly the case, which is actually the driving factor of superstitious beings. So this is what normally faces, especially a lot of widows in Africa. Okay, thank you for going back on that. So 
let's speak about York. Are you also at York enlightened yeah. on gender-based violence? That is something you can do or are doing in rape cases, for example? Yeah. Whenever there is a need for us to make sure that we, we, we stand to talk about it, we are so much involved. I can simply say we are so much involved in anything that we think can do for social change without losing our focus, our key focus on widows and single mothers. Carter, you call yourself an activist and an agent of change. Do you mind elaborate on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a social change agent. Mostly what I also love to call myself, I always tell people that I really don't like being on the upfront. I like to catalyze from, from the back. Though at the same time, when there's a need for me to, 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 to do it from the front, I can still do. But, uh, I, I've seen the strategy that we, we, we are using working whereby we go and we empower them, right? We empower whoever coming from the margins of society and we see their disadvantage. We don't really want to continue speaking for them. Why do we have to speak for them when they have the mouth? Yeah, that's right. So what we do, we empower them from the backyard. I stand on the ground to make sure that they are empowered whilst you are on the background. The next thing, we release them to go and shine. We release them to go and create a change. And this is what we are, we are actually doing. And this is my, my, my definition of being a, a change agent. I just come and catalyze from the backyard and I leave them to do amazing things. So personally, that, that's my, my, my style and my personal definition of being a change catalyst. I'm not supposed to be doing everything. I can actually do to empower the person. Then I allow them to go and, and win. You said that Kantari played an important role in your formation. What does this organization mean to you? To tell you the truth, uh, Kantari will always be a mother. She, she, she's, when I see Kantari, I, I see that, that mother of mine who, who went further to bring out the best out of me. And she, 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 she is that mother who didn't just play the role of a mother. She stepped into playing the role of fatherhood in my life. I remember every moment at Kantari. I always talk to some of my key mentors from Kantari, the likes of Sabria Ten Beken, the likes of uh, Nicola Stanich. You know, le let me say, when I was at Kantari, I cannot say I was one of the brightest participants. I wasn't. I was so much afraid. You know, at most when we are in, during classes, I could not contribute effectively. I was, especially in the first days, I was so afraid. I, I couldn't stand to speak, speak my mind. But uh, I remember it's one of the days at Kantari, whereby Nicola Stanich, one of the catalysts at Kantari, she, she called me, Graham, why are you always doing this and this? Mostly like when we are in during class and uh, it's time for, for, for teamwork. I wasn't that effective. I was so afraid I could feel these as more superior than me, right? Mm. And she, she, she took me like a mother 
and she started to nurture me and I became a better person. And even when I went to Kantari, my vision wasn't clear. I just knew that I want to empower women. I want to, 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 to make a difference in my community. I didn't know how I was going to do it. But Kantari equipped me with the necessary tools, with the necessary skills. And I tell you, now I'm not afraid to dream. Now I'm not afraid to do whatsoever that I want. I, I, I was so afraid even to approach big people with names. You know, when you see someone being called uh, a doctor of so-and-so, a doctor <laughs> of so-and-so, right? I could see them as people I cannot be able to approach. But now these are the people I'm surrounded with. Yeah. These are the people that are coming, uh, offering their support at our institutions like Torch. At Torch, I have volunteers as far as professors from Harvard Business School mm. sparing their time to come and give lecture at our institution. Great. Right? It's actually an institution that was founded by someone who didn't have confidence. But Kantari became that springboard whereby I gained confidence. I'm, I'm now able to go and stand at any platform without mm. any fear. I, I, I appreciate the likes of Paul Kunabel, Sabriatian Beken, Nicholas Stanis. I tell you, those people, they totally changed my life. Not only them. You know, Kandari is a very interesting place whereby even your fellow participants, they become a, a source of inspiration. I have my brother from, from Uganda. His name is Samuel Odua. You know, sometimes I just, I just make a call telling him how he inspired me. He was my roommate. The more we spend time together talking and stuff, it has also created a chain. Right? These yeah. are the type of uh, the type of people you meet at Kantari. Will you talk about the mother? What about the child? What about York Africa? You know, York Africa, yes, it's 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 actually a baby. It's it's actually my baby. And you know, <laughs> when you have a baby, you always try by all means to make sure that they wear the best clothes, they, they eat the best meal and stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is actually what happens with me at York Africa. I don't know how to say it, but I tell you, I cannot spend five minutes without thinking about York Africa. Even when I'm at a certain place or a staff, right, my mind is always, how can I make York Africa better to be a better springboard for all its beneficiaries? So York Africa, it really means a lot to me. It's actually my lifestyle. That's what I spend my life doing. This is what I'm, I'm focused on. And I want to make sure that York Africa maximizes its potential in empowering people at the margins of society. And this is what I'm seeing happening. Like I have highlighted, we also face our challenges. I, I remember sometimes calling my, my mentor, um, it would be, why still we are inspired or we, we have that zeal and drive to create and change and build our organization. Honestly speaking, these babies of ours, they also become a point of stress sometimes. They are sometimes where, whereby I, I, I could pray to God and say, God, why, why not just make me disappear? 
I'm trying my best. I'm, I'm, I want this to work. I want to see many widows being liberated, many people from margin. Can you please help me to work, to make this yoke thing work, right? And sometimes you'll be going through a lot of things, a lot of challenges, some financially. And you know, with us dreamers, it's very difficult for people to believe in you. It can be even the people that you want to help, right? That cannot even believe you. They can even start fighting you, right? And these are some of the things that we face. It's not always roses, whereby mostly if we go like on social media platforms and we see you posting this, and sometimes maybe United Nations would have said, Graham, let's work on this project together. And when other people see you working with United Nations, they will think that it's all roses, not mm-hmm. knowing that there is actually straight behind for you to be where you are today. So there came a time where I start, I, I told myself, I want to give up. And the most frustrating thing is when I was saying I want to give up, right? I, mostly I could also refer to, I cannot kill myself. I just want to disappear. Who am I going to look in eyes while still I'm frustrated? The best way, God just take me. I just want to disappear. Maybe this will help me. These are some of the challenges that I also, this, this baby of mine has to take me through. But still, you don't give up. What I then told myself the other day, I said, I went to, to a certain farm that I normally go for retreat. And I told myself, yeah, I've come a long way. I look back and see some of the stories of uh, the people that we have empowered and stuff. And I would say, okay, I know I'm facing this challenge, right? But I can still, I actually have something to look up to that gives me hope that there is also a brighter future for you, right? And that, that kept me going up until now. Though I tell you, it wasn't an easy journey to be where we are right now, especially without a, an organization that comes and gives you solid funding, right? Because mostly our work rely on, 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 on donation and stuff. Like I have highlighted, I had to use certain strategies. And sometimes people come and say, ah, Graham, why don't you use this strategy? Some of the things we have thought about it. Uh, but seeing it cannot work for now because it requires a certain financial input, which we cannot get anywhere. But um, I'm glad even with our little effort, we have managed to do certain things that many people actually think is York is a well-funded organization, not knowing it's, it's probably a well-strategized organization in terms of just implementing sometimes with the little that we have. I will say, I will add an organization with heart. Yeah, with the heart. Because mostly when you have the heart to do something, uh, definitely you just see those things coming to pass, right? So this is what York means to me. This is, that's my all. Hmm. Everywhere. I think my, 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 I actually think my blood is no longer red. I, I, I personally think maybe it's now on the same color with York, which is yellow, because <laughs> that's, that's me. 
<laughs> uh, Carter, your message to the widows out there. Uh, my message to, to, to the widows out there, I, I actually have a lot to say, and maybe I, I, I'll just try to, to simplify. This is what the world is made of. Once you are born on earth, the next thing you have to go back to your creator. Eventually, everyone, even the widow, they are going to die. And uh, once you lose a partner, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. And maybe I could also, before talking much about with much to widow, I just want to speak to women. I have to speak directly to women. I tell you, most of the time, if a widow is solidly empowered, right? If a woman is solidly empowered, and when they become a widow, and they are able to sustain themselves, no one will look down upon them. So mostly if you look at the issues pertaining widows, they normally drive from not being economically independent. So before you become a widow, when you are growing up, make sure that you are empowered. Make sure you are empowered to stand on your own. The world we are living nowadays is different from the, the from the world of time way back, whereby it was only men you could find on the marketplace. Why still you you, you are just a, a a woman? You are not yet a widow. You also need to be available at the marketplace. It actually is is your burden when your husband is no longer there. You are able to sustain yourself. So that's the challenge that we are facing. So it's, it starts from the girl child, right? The girl child needs to be empowered. Then that very same woman, whilst you is enjoying the presence of their husband, they also need to be empowered. So that when they become widows and single mothers, no one will look down upon them, so both socially and economically. Like I've highlighted, their challenges mostly they drive from the economic state. Because you know, when you are financially balanced, right? No one looked down upon you. When you are financially balanced, no one will ever at most no one comes and looks down upon you. Because they know you are independent. You don't need any any financial assistance from them. So with widows out there, with women out there, please get empowered. Be able to work with your own hands. So that when, when you probably become a widow, if it's that God wishes for you, right? You, you, you know, you are able to sustain yourself without anyone looking down upon you. Personally, this is actually personal. I love you guys. And I really adore you. The way that you always stand with your family is amazing. You can only, you, you, your, your, your energy, your zeal to make sure that your families are fed, they get whatever that they want to eat. It's something, it's a strength that you can also expand to your community. And imagine whatever that you do for your family extend to community. We are actually creating a better world. So you are very important and we love you guys. Empowering widows is a very large task. Thanks, Carter, for your involvement and willingness. Thank you so much, Yampi. It was actually great uh, being here and sharing the story. 
of widows and single mothers. And uh, thank you once again for having me. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Keep it like that and all the best. You'll find the stories of people sticking their necks out every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage, and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, you don't have to look out for us. We'll be coming to you. Dear listeners, if there is a friend, a family member, an organization, or someone you know who is doing a great work in the community, someone sticking their neck out, just nominate them as a giraffe hero or tell us about them. Leave a comment. Come and visit us at giraffe-heroes.eu. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona, and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. But more importantly, I hope you join us again next week. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. 